Good morning, everyone. It's great to join you. My name is Mark. It's my privilege to be able to share in the sermon message with you today. If we haven't met, my wife and I started coming to this church right before the pandemic occurs. It was like in the fall of 2019. Uh, our son is uh, in the first year of his, as a first year cadet at the U.S. Air Force in Colorado Springs. When we first uh, started going to Grace Life, they were still meeting at the Ducketts Lane Elementary School, so I think of myself kind of proverbially wandering in like a stray cat, and I've been kind of insinuating myself into ministry ever since. I've had prior ministry experience before at a previous church, but I stepped down from there, so I'm uh, happy to join with you today in the sermon message. The title of the sermon is... From God's unconditional love and unconditional faith. And by this title, I feel there's this idea of God wanting us to freely receive and experience uh, his love unconditionally through Christ Jesus' finished work on the cross. However, do we in turn demonstrate an unconditional faith, a bedrock foundation of faith that endures and sustains us through times of peace and abundance, but also in times of great difficulty or loss. It's in our human nature, even as Christians, to have a crisis of faith when we are invariably confronted with suffering or great loss, such as a too soon passing of a loved one, or a serious medical diagnosis, or a lost job, or a relationship that didn't work out. For some, however... They don't make it out of that. There is a loss of faith and a complete denial of Christ altogether. So I'm wondering if we can get to the place where we fully appreciate the depth and dimension of God's presence in our lives when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. And whether that appreciation includes an abiding acknowledgement of an almighty, omniscient, omnipotent, ever-present God that rules and reigns over our lives no matter what. And more importantly, how do we get to a place where our faith is so secure from the fears and challenges of this world? So we'll take a look at that in a little while. There are two separate passages. They happen to be from the Old Testament. They come from my daily Bible reading dating back to the mid-2000s. As part of my testimony, that's when my spiritual growth really started to take shape at this other church that I was attending, that we were attending. And I've carried those passages. I've never discussed them or shared them publicly, but uh, I've always been drawn. One is from the book of Daniel, and the other is from the book of Ruth. And they just, I think they just illustrate a kind of a striking glimpse of what I think is a remarkable faith by these individuals that were confronted with some Serious crisis. The passages themselves are somewhat incidental to the main overall theme of the books. But I think that's why I like them, because you have these individuals living out their lives, and here they are confronted, as we all are, with a crisis, and yet you see how they are so grounded in their faith in Yahweh. And so um, I want to just kind of visit some of those passages. The first one is from Daniel 3. The book of Daniel is rich in prophetic eschatology of the second coming of Christ and the uh, end times apocalypse. 
but it's the beginning of the chapters which chronicle Daniel and these three fellows, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that I wanted to present to you. To give you a little bit of background leading up to the passage, these three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were part of the exiled remnant of Jews that were taken captive by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. The king Nebuchadnezzar had laid siege to the Jerusalem temple, captured it, and then saw to the destruction of the Jerusalem temple in around 587 BC. And so these men were carried off as captives. They were chosen as the best and the brightest of the exiles. And they demonstrated great wisdom and understanding uh, on many matters in Babylonian language and culture because they were trained for three years in Babylonian culture and then put into service. Uh, they were placed in the service of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now during that time, the, that Babylonian king created this 90-foot image of gold and commanded that all nations and men of every language will fall down and worship this image of gold. Those who refuse would be thrown into a blazing furnace. And despite these three, uh, their high position among the king's administrators, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to serve the king's gods nor worship the gold image. They were brought before King Nebuchadnezzar after he heard about this, and he was very angry, and he threatened them. But, but they told the king, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. And this is the key part. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And so that part, but even if he does not, mind you, these three have already witnessed the destruction of their Jerusalem temple, which is literally the presence of God in that temple by this pagan Babylonian king, and they were taken captive as an exiled remnant. Under the threat of certain horrific death, they did not yield their faith to this Babylonian king. They had already witnessed the destruction of their temple, and even though they proclaimed God's ability to save them and refused to worship a false idol, even if God elected not to rescue them. And so who among us in that moment would have such faith that facing an uncertain death or life that we would still assert our faith in Christ? So I find that quite striking. Um, I think that verse has been with me for a long time, and to prove my point, um, we shared this back last week in our community group. The Bible discussion theme was kind of blessing and, and curses, and the opening question was, do you have an example anytime you felt that you were blessed? Well, my wife and I both kind of shared the same example. Back in 2008, we were going to sell our townhouse and buy a new house and so we bought the new house and then there's this bridge loan which is a loan to buy the new house but it's contingent on the townhouse selling and that would come due and to carry 
you know, a $5,000 monthly mortgage on the new house, and then also that when that bridge loan comes due, that's very stressful because the house wasn't getting, the house wasn't getting any offers, the townhouse that we were trying to sell. And so I tell people that I very rarely ever pray for a material thing. However, I remember distinctly praying about God, and I, and I have bore that in mind as far as God this is what I would like, but even if you do not, I've always kind of carried that with me. In 2008, my prayer was, Lord, we love this new place that we're living in, but if the townhouse doesn't sell, I thank you for the four months that we will have lived in this new house before we got to get out because we can't afford it anymore. So I think that that really has genuinely influenced me and balanced out, Lord God, I love the what you have provided, but if you also taketh away, then I appreciate everything that you are because you are the Lord who rules and reigns in my life. So I would just offer that up. And as a follow-up to uh, what happened to these three fellows, King Nebuchadnezzar was so furious of their stubborn refusal that he ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual, which, I mean, come on, seven times? That, that's like overkill, pardon the pun, that's like really overdoing it. That's like bragging about what you can do. I mean, does it really need to be seven times hotter? A modern oven goes up to like 550. I have a tabletop pizza oven that gets up to 900, but seven times, come on. So uh, the way that story plays out, that furnace is so ripping hot that even the soldiers who, were, who bound up those three men, they were killed because the heat was so intense. However, those three men that were thrown into the furnace were observed unharmed, and there was even a fourth person in there, God, or we would say Jesus was in there. But nary a hair on their head, nor a thread of clothing was even singed. And so uh, that's how that played out. But I was quite struck by their declaration of the king about what they won't do, and even if God does not save us. I uh, really love that passage. The other passage is from the book of Ruth. Uh, you may be familiar with the overall storyline of Ruth and Boaz, her kinsman redeemer. As a background summary of the book of Ruth, uh, it's kind of a syrupy, sweet uh, love story, and this is a guy giving you a summary of that. But it's kind of a syrupy, sweet love story right out of the Hallmark movie channel or a Christian Harlequin romance novel. Uh, Ruth's husband dies. And as a poor widower in a foreign land, she ends up working in the barley fields, gleaning grains left over there to survive when Boaz, the field owner, spots her across the field and becomes quite smitten with her. Their, bloss their relationship blossoms and they eventually marry. Aww. And by the way, I think the reason why it it's included in the biblical canon because Boaz and Ruth have a son, Obed, and he is the great-grandfather of King David. Thus, that lineage fulfills the Davidic covenant prophecy that the Christ Messiah will descend from the line of David. And so, uh, just FYI about that. However, what uh, I wanted to point out about uh, Ruth in, is that um, as background what I wanted to 
follow up on is not so much Ruth and Boaz, but Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi. The first chapter starts out with Naomi being married and having two sons, one of which is uh, uh, married Ruth. However, over time, uh, both Naomi's husband and her two sons die, leaving her fairly destitute as she would not have kind of legal standing to uh, take care of her affairs. And so uh, she was going to have great difficulty without her husband and her two sons. She planned on returning back to her hometown of Bethlehem, but she had no way of providing for her two daughters-in-law, and she attempted to send them away uh, back to their families. And this is what she told them. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who would become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this they wept again. And so here we have Ruth, and despite her bitterness, she did not wallow in self-pity. She says to them, then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud. So, even though uh, Naomi is describing how difficult her life is, she still thinks about them to pray kind of a blessing on him. But she's still acknowledging that uh, her God still rules and reigns over her life. And you'll notice in this next part of the passage that she's describing her affliction. She's not attributed to some kind of spiritual battle or attack from Satan, but uh, see what she says here. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I always went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So I just wanted to take a moment to reflect on what Naomi is saying. And this should should kind of expand our dimension of God's sovereign rule over our life. When we think of being in the care of Jesus who loves us, our immediate thought is that we're under God's care and protection. He's kind of like this little support blanket that we, we like to wrap ourselves in. Now, if you want to respond, well, because of Christ uh, who restores us to a right relationship with God, that God would never do that. But I just want you to consider that we are confronted with this idea that God possibly could put us under that affliction. We don't need to spiritualize everything and be victims, but rather still acknowledge God, even though, as, Ruth, as Naomi is, acknowledging God has afflicted me, but he still is the great I am. So that's always caught my attention about both these passages, uh, which I love. Individuals witnessing their unwavering faith and belief in God in the midst of very desperate circumstances where the final outcome is yet to be determined. And yes, they both have a happy ending. Naomi is well settled with 
Ruth and Boaz and those three guys were not incinerated in the super hot furnace. But it's important to note what I've been saying that at the time they made their declarations of faith, their fate was still undetermined. And so uh, I want us to kind of think about what that would mean for us in our individual lives. Neither Naomi, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, or Nebedgo ever lost faith to the point of denying God. However, in Ruth, unlike in Daniel, where these three men were under the possible threat of a terrifying death, Naomi suffered tremendous loss of her husband and her two sons. She was fairly destitute as far as how she's going to be able to take care of herself or, or look after her daughters-in-law, yet she still acknowledged that God ruled and reigned over her life. As for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I think it's important to point out that those are the Babylonian names that were forced on them. Their original Israelite Hebrew names were uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and uh, Azariah. And so they were given new names and forced under these different roles of Babylonian culture and custom and language. And so even though they had that, they were forced to be Babylonian for all intents and purposes. They never lost their true identity in God and that at the time that it was important, they, they still remained faithful to God and did not yield to that Babylonian king. And so running the risk of segueing to a clumsy analogy, just as those three were forced to assume new roles, they never lost their identity in God. And so as we strive for an identity in Christ, we also assume other different roles in life, such as employer or employee, uh, as a student, as a son or a daughter, as a parent. Invariably, there's going to be times where things go awry, and these cause tension in our identity in Christ. And where, where do we come out in our faith when that happens? Are we challenged? Or do we have this underlying faith that endures and sustains us? I'm reminded of the call and response you may have heard before. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. I noticed that uh, that's only ever uttered in celebration when there's some blessing or great thing that happened. Someone recovered from a, a health scare or uh, something wonderful, blessed uh, happened. They got a new job or they got an A or a basketball or a football team won a game sort of thing. But if God truly is good all the time, and he is, then we must acknowledge and reflect on this eternal truth as also applying to times of devastating crisis. Now, I would never make light of true suffering. In the moment, it would be no comfort whatsoever, and it would be completely asinine to utter that God is good all the time to a person in deep crisis. But I guess the point I'm trying to make here is, despite unbearable grief, can we get to a place where we're at absolute peace with our faith, faith, a peace which transcends all understanding, that wherever we find ourselves in life, we are at peace with our faith and acknowledge an almighty God with whom we are restored to through Christ Jesus, no matter the circumstances. 
So there's this idea of faith so embedded and anchored in one's spiritual fiber of being that it's an unwavering in the good times, but also during those times of great challenge. In times of peace and abundance, but also dark grief and un unbearable suffering, where the outcome appears bleak and whose final outcome is uncertain. And so as I began to prepare this message of one having a faith so deeply embedded in Christ, it made me reflect on how, how, do, we, how do we get there? The scripture is silent as far as Naomi and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But I thought there were, might be some suggestions, and they're not necessarily novel ideas by any means, but what I wanted to definitely just point out is as you're getting engaged with God, are there moments of authentic, genuine spiritual intimacy? However you relate and, whatever, and however God resonates in your life, we're all kind of uniquely made. Our personalities are different. Maybe you perceive God intellectually through scripture or theology. I hope that your intellectualization leads to love, not just more intellect, but your study of scripture. You have those intimate moments where you're going, oh my gosh, that is so incredible. Or that theology is so incredible. I just, it can only come from God. That can't come from man. That can only come from God. So that's what I would like you to think about as far as how do you relate to God? People maybe don't really want to get into theology. They're not Bible geeks. But praise through prayer, breaking bread in fellowship over a specially prepared meal is a way of fellowship and drawing closer in fellowship but drawing closer to Christ. So that's what I would hope each and every one of you has already experienced or is seeking you would have to be quite intentional in that, pursuing God. Not with an expectation of, well, if I do this, God's going to do this for me, but rather just being in the moment of taking a step towards God because if you draw closer to God, as it says in James, he will draw closer to you. So that's what I would encourage you to do if you haven't already experienced that. Start taking that step, making that effort, even if it's like, oh, I don't even want to be here. Why am I praying? Why am I reading the Bible? If you start tuning in, I promise you that God is going to bless you in a way that resonates and brings uh, delight in your life. So I would encourage you to think about those things. Now, what I was going to just touch on is Bible study or daily reading. These are not novel ideas, but what I did want to kind of present in a different dimension is if you're reading the Bible rather than seizing on the Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Oh, I love that one. It's so inspirational. It's going to get me where I want to go. But rather, reading scripture and just delighting in, that is so beautiful. That touches me. Rather than, I'm seizing on that. I'm appropriating that verse because I want that in my life. But rather, just Delighting in God's word because it touches you. And I think that is what scripture can do. It can resonate and touch you in a, in a spiritual connection. You don't have to be a poet or an or a, a English major, but I hope that you encounter points along the way where God's word has touched you. And it's just for you and, and you alone. 
I talk about uh, daily Bible reading. There was this um, Machain daily Bible reading plan. Our senior pastor, this was in the middle 2000s, um, he challenged people. This uh, fellow, Paul Machain, is a Scottish minister from the 19th century who carefully laid out the chapters of the book. And so you'll read about four or five chapters a day, and you will have read through the entire Bible. My wife and I did that together one year, and then I did it together. So that's part of my spiritual testimony as far as my spiritual growth. I'm not saying that you have to do that, but I'm just giving you an example of once I start reading the Bible, it's like, wow, that is so incredible. There were so many passages that spoke to me, and the Bible wasn't written for me, but I felt, guys, like, you're going to be blessed by this. This is for you. And one of those passages I'd like to share with you It, um, it's just a passage that I've always carried with me. I've never really shared it publicly. Never seen it on a billboard or a bumper sticker or I've never heard it preached on or anything. It just resonates with me and I'll share that with you. It's um, from Proverbs 30. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I, have, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of the Lord my God. And so that's the passage. It's like, like I said, it doesn't, like inspire you it doesn't give you any material gain but what i love about that is just the writer there is demanding of god ordering them give me this do not refuse me but you know what he's not demanding material gain in fact he's demanding that god save him essentially from himself god don't make me too rich otherwise the abundance i have i'm going to become arrogant and start thinking oh this was of my making God, don't make me poor because I'll become desperate and steal and disgrace you and myself. And so I just love that. It's just there's so, so many layers. But that's just, that's my verse, by the way. That's mine. But that's what I pray for each and every one of you. But I don't know that God is just going to drop a verse down on your lap out of the blue. You got to go find that. And if you go, I don't want to read through the kings and chronicles and this king begat this king and all. Just be in the moment. God's going to see, I know you're really bored and that stuff's really dry, but I love that you're taking that step towards me and I'm going to bless you. So I would pray for that for each and every one of you. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so... God really does speak to us on many different levels and he can fulfill us if we let him, he can fulfill us spiritually, uh, emotionally, intellectually. And so that's what I want you to consider as far as when you're reading scripture, just kind of be in the moment. And I hope that you do encounter those times where you feel blessed by this particular passage that really speaks to you. And so that would be my prayer for each and every one of you. And so uh, the other thing that I was going to touch on was just 
jot down sermon notes, journal sermon notes. If anything, it causes you to reflect on what's being said, and then when you write it down, you're reinforcing that, okay? Maybe a lot of you are sick of taking lecture class notes, but in this sense, hopefully, there's some effort that you're making to draw closer to God, and that uh, God is pleased in that you're making that effort to do that. And quite frankly, if we feel that the sermon message is compelled by the Spirit, I wouldn't want to miss out. And so I've checked through my notes. I have an iPad. I have notes dating back for 15, 20 years. I even um, have sermon notes from the village, Pastor Dan and Andrew. I was going to show, see, I even have them from Pastor Larry, but I think when I updated, upgraded my iPad, there was data loss. But I have uh, sermon notes from every time that I've sat here or, or zoomed in, but that's just for me. That is my way of not only honoring God, but it also honors the speaker who invested a lot of time and is compelled by God to share that message. And so for those reasons, I would ask you to consider that because I don't have any illusions about what people retain from a sermon once they walk out of here, or I don't have any illusions about my ability to present a sermon message. But somewhere along the way, somewhere in that mix, only God is going to be able to change your hearts and minds. What, what I've tried to do in a, in a human capacity is kind of pierce your consciousness as far as opening up and ushering in a new dimension of what your faith could be. That's what I was trying to do today. I, I have no ability whatsoever to change any of your lives. Only God can do that. And so if it doesn't happen today, I hope that something clicks in you in due time and that you start becoming more in tune with your faith, more intimate with your connection with God in ways, in those still quiet moments that resonate with you and you alone. Not that you have to rush out and tell everyone, but because God meant those moments to be for you. So that's, again, my prayer for you. And ways of doing that are just to maybe take some notes. What um, I also was going to touch on as far as the way that you might have spiritual intimacy is prayer. Gosh, prayer, that's a very novel concept. All I was saying is that, um, all I'm saying here is that there are other dimensions and facets of prayer that we can consider doing as far as praise and adoration there's confession, there's thanksgiving. Um, I remember uh, Pastor Mike McQuitty, I forget if it was at a community group or during a sermon, but he was talking about, oh, there was this retreat in the past, and I forget if it was him or someone else that was really excited to go to the retreat, and they were fired up for revival. But the first thing that they were told to do is go off on your own and uh, pray and meditate for I forget if it was like an hour or two, and he's like, what? The person's like, I want revival. That, what, what are we doing? And, and when Pastor Mike said that, it's like I kind of like shook my head and said, well, that was one of our first assignments in seminary. We, our assignment was to go and sit, pray, and meditate for four hours. So at the church that we were, I was, we were attending, and they had Saturday morning prayer at 6 a.m., so I plopped down 6 a.m. and stayed there till late morning. But I think the point of that exercise is normally when you sit down and pray, you're 
Lord God, please let me win the lottery or may gold ingots drop down from the sky into my lap or you're praying for your health and well-being of you and your family and your friends and you're hoping for that job promotion and you're hoping your kids will get good grades and get into a good college and then, gosh, seven minutes went by. Hmm, now what am I supposed to do? I think that's the point of that and the point I'm trying to make to you is that Maybe rather than blah, 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 God, blah, 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 rather be still, be quiet. Maybe something else is happening, but because you're just blaring, you've kind of disrupted that vibe. So please consider that dimension of prayer rather than, Lord God, please provide this for me. That's all well intended. And it's necessary. God wants you to pray in all things. There's plenty of Bible verses that commend you to do that. But I think it's not pray Every time you need something and everything that you want, pray for all of that. Rather, be in communion with the Lord. God wants a right relationship, and that was the way that we were going to be restored. In the name of Jesus, I offer up this prayer. When we close, in Jesus' name, we pray. And so rather than this idea of supplication, there are other dimensions and other different aspects of your relationship with the Lord that you ought to be considering because God wants to be praised and adored. And so please consider that. Even um, Pastor Allen gave a sermon January 2nd, 2022, and he, and he quoted a Paul Miller book on prayer. Gosh, how do you know? How do you think I know the dates that he did that? And he also gave a sermon April 3rd, 2022 and he didn't read that book it was uh, the christian atheist book he just liked that title because it kind of implied yeah we are we are we say that we're christian by title but that's just a cultural identity thing we don't the, the author saying are your actions actually christian are you christ-like in seeking the lord and also being sent out and sharing that and witnessing to the world but i like both of those books the miller book and the Christian Atheist book, I actually downloaded them on Kindle and read them. They both really emphasized this idea of prayer as relationship with the Lord. So I was happy and relieved that that was something that kind of confirmed in my own mind what we ought to be considering. And so you can kind of see how all, this, all, these, all these things kind of tie in. For me, that's very edifying. That's a blessing to me because it I think that, okay, I'm on the right track because God's given me a few points of uh, confirmation along the way. Uh, to follow up with Pastor Larry's sermon last week when he was talking about or giving the analogy of someone saying they don't like potatoes when it turns out they've only been served raw potatoes. So, yeah, that's why they wouldn't like potatoes. But the analogy was Christians don't like, or people don't like Christianity because they've been served up the, anal the analogous uncooked, unpalatable potatoes rather than a deliciously prepared uh, cooked potato. And it makes me think of this brick potato recipe where you scallop them very thin on a mandolin and you have a, layer them in a loaf pan with, with uh, black garlic sea salt and then you slow... Oh, sorry. I like, like cooking. I got carried away there. But... But um, people get turned off because they think organized religion uh, is, is all a scam because they've been given a half-baked, if you will, 
version of what that is. So we have a responsibility, each and every one of us, as we're witnessing, what is this? Oh, well, I'll pray for you. Well, that person will say, well, nothing became of my prayer, of your prayer. Don't you guys realize that uh, thoughts and prayers is a punchline, a tragic punchline, when people offer that up, when politicians offer that up after one massacre after another? That's a punchline that, okay, we offer up thoughts and prayers as this little spiritual hug, boot near, Jesus sticker. We've lost kind of sight of what prayer could be that was this vertical relationship, in my opinion. Thoughts and prayers are important. However, if it becomes the sole focus and the sole dimension of your prayer relationship with the Lord, I feel that you will be forever frustrated waiting for God to answer or not answer your prayers rather than just being in communion with the Lord, being in proper right relationship with God through prayer, through adoration, confession, thanksgiving. So please consider those things and you might find that all that tension and fear that we may have that challenges our faith when we're walking with the Lord, maybe some of those things just fade away because we are anchored in our faith in a way that this world cannot uh, um, attack. All of this that I've been talking about um, ties in how just as those three guys in the furnace and Ruth were able to withstand all of that, I think once we start layering our understanding of faith that it really becomes that kind of bulletproof and it becomes bulletproof in the good times that I was talking about about, but also in the not-so-good times. And one, uh, if you will indulge me for another moment as far as I just wanted to share a personal uh, illustration of how God's sovereignty has worked in my life, even if I don't like it. Um, our son is, is out of the house now. He's in, he's in school, and so we're kind of empty nesters, and, and that's probably one of the reasons I'm going through my, what is now probably my third or fourth Midlife crisis, personally and professionally, trying to figure out stuff and get stuff sorted out. Although, I'm not going to live to be 112, so midlife is probably not accurate. It's probably more latter life. But um, my point is that um, even while I've been working, uh, serving at church, uh, for the last year and a half or so, I've been working or serving with the Sunday service group that um, they meet a couple times a month. We go over just purely administrative things as far as the Sunday service. For example, what are the announcements going to be? Uh, we had Wi-Fi thermostats installed in the sanctuary. Woo, pretty exciting stuff. And uh, we had some Zoom streaming issues with the worship. Uh, so we had to troubleshoot that and we repositioned the camera. Really exciting stuff. And so it's not really ministry related and it's just purely admin stuff and so I was starting to cop a serious attitude about all that and so I even made up a I invented a new word adminion and so at one at one of the meetings in January I was telling people it's like I just don't I mean I'm more of a worker bee blue collar type personality all this talking about administrative stuff, blah, blah. And don't get me wrong, it needs to be addressed and needs to be taken care of, but I just, it was just getting to me and I was copying serious attitudes, so I just withdrew, I quit abruptly, and they were going, hey, what's going on? And so not long after, 
They asked, they asked me to reconsider, but I'm just like, I just quit. How can I, like, what about my stubborn pride? What about, how can I capitulate so easily and go back? I've already talked myself into a corner by quitting. How can I just turn around and say, okay, I'd like to come back? So it's like, I'm up against all of that, but as I continue to pray through that, and this is what I shared with them after I begged my way back into the service huddle group, I, I said, you know, maybe God's just telling me to get over yourself and just be the best gosh darn adminion that you can be. And so, you know, okay, so uh, fast forward to I started preparing this message last week, and that Machain daily prayer, I kid you not, this uh, verse came up in Romans 12. For by the grace given me, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. So it's like, oh my gosh, that's just incredible as far as how the, all the elements of what I was thinking and wrestling with in my personal life and with this message, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Mark, I feel God is like reaching through the ages through Paul's writing and telling me to shut up. It's just like this slap down. Paul's like, Mark, you, you ought not think as highly of yourself as you do, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, Mark, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. So it's like, that is beautiful, even though it's a slapdown. That is beautiful. That's a point of confirmation that, okay, I don't like it, but I acknowledge God. I thank you for not just completely kicking me into the curb, but rather allowing me to be. But also, um, what I was going to say, this also came up. Be joyful in hope patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And so I don't like to spiritualize every little thing, but those are not coincidences in my opinion. Those are a blessing to me as far as, well, what am I trying to do here? What's going on in my life? God, like I said, God has given me confirmation. Just be a best gosh darn adminion that you can be. So I have to just accept that and live with it. But as far as all of these things I don't know that it's going to happen overnight. When you walk out of here, maybe it's just, pew, I don't know. But hopefully, you will have made effort to pray, Lord God, I don't have any faith in you or I've lost faith in you, but please, please help me. If you can kind of be vulnerable in that way, I think God is waiting to embrace you with those things. Wherever you're at, that's where you should start in your prayer, reading the Bible, maybe jotting down a few notes that, uh, that are a reflection to you. So I think all those things happen. It's not going to happen overnight, but just be delight in the journey along the way rather than the end point, I want to be here. I want this, that, and the other thing. But just delighting in Scripture, delighting in the way God is going to be touching your life. And along the way, your faith is going to be built up so that it, we're not going to be afraid of this world, but rather what would it mean to be of such faith that uh, we can just kind of cast off the fears of this world with a shrug? Acknowledge, yeah, life sucks right now, but even if it doesn't get better, even if he does not, I'm still going to delight in the Lord. 
can we get there? Because I think when you're there and you're in maybe a low spot, God will in some way reassure you and give you a point of confirmation. That would be my prayer for you. But like I said, that type of sanctification, that building up your faith, I don't know that that happens overnight. God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, with whomever he wants. But I think it's God's perfect timing that each and every one of you, my prayer is that God's going to be reaching out to you and you're going to be going, oh my gosh. And you're going to be enlightened and things will be revealed to you that are a personal blessing to you that you can just kind of carry with you and store up in your heart and treasure in your heart that aren't for anyone else, but God is blessing you with these certain things, points along the way. So that's would be, that would be my prayer for you that... All right. That you would um, simply kind of rejoice. There was this uh, children's Sunday school song that uh, has been going on in my head uh, ever since last week. You may know that. It's... Um, This is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord hath made. Why can't we just, maybe in a childlike innocence, just delight in certain things rather than having this transactional expectation of what God, if I do this, God, what are you going to do for me? Or I have this expectation. Rather than being transactional with God, but just delight in certain things. Delight in scripture, delight in the way God, God's new theology in Christ, the new way, the new message. Does that float your boat? Or, you're, or if you're overcome by the Spirit during praise, does that move you? Because we're all wired differently. We all, we all relate differently to the Lord. But God's going to meet you where you're at, and that's my prayer that you, you find these connections and these points of confirmation along the way. Because... If we don't prepare in times of peace and abundance, when that storm starts rocking us, where are we going to end up? So that would be my prayer for you, that you don't have a Christ of faith such that you just forget this. I deny Christ. I don't even want to be part of this anymore because what did God ever do for me? God gave us salvation by faith alone and eternal life with him. I think that for me personally, that explains a lot as far as he gave us some pretty awesome supernatural stuff. What is all this stuff that we're worrying about? So I would ask you to consider all those things, the dimension of your prayer, your efforting to engage God through Scripture. And if we can have the worship team come up, I'm going to be finishing up in closing prayer in just a moment. But if we can just kind of consider these things as far as where am I at right now? Has God given me points of confirmation? Then God bless. But if you're still wanting that, without an expectation of this material gain or something, but just yearning to be with God and be in God's presence, that's what I would uh, hope and pray for each and every one of you. So uh, let's pray. Uh, Holy Spirit, uh, We pray that we would uh, simply rejoice and delight in you. 
because you enlighten our lives with the word, through fellowship, through prayer. I pray that we're challenged in ways that we never expected, Lord God, but our faith would be unyielding and that each and every one of us would experience that kind of joy and delight that you would have us experience and the love that you have for your son may our love for you be unconditional and may the love and may the faith that we have in Christ Jesus approach that of the faith that you have in us Lord God and that you would anoint us in a certain way that blesses us personally as we go in this path and this journey, Lord God, I just pray that uh, you would speak to us in our uh, in those still quiet moments, Lord God. So we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.